You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Notice what we are told there in verse 10. The Lord God of hosts. In the Hebrew, it's Elohi Sibu. The idea here is that God is sovereign over all things. Listen, David has been brought along and given great success by the God whose heavenly messengers are always at his command. And what God did for David, listen gang, he will also do for you. Many times we as Christians can take on the attitude of the world in that we believe that this is our life to do with as we please. Today, Pastor Mike tells us that God is sovereign. As a Christian, do you understand that you've been bought with the great price of Jesus' blood and that your life is no longer your own? That might sound like bad news to you, but quite the contrary. God bought and paid for you because he loves you and will always do far better for you than you could do for yourself. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Secret to Success. The details of combat aren't even mentioned, and I think that this is significant. But how David was actually able to enter the city, to take the city, is discovered here in verse 8. Notice the reference to the water shaft. Do you see that there? It was through the water shaft that David and his men entered into the city. So during wartime, when the people would stay in the gates of the city that was under siege, they would draw their water supply from a shaft that connected the city with the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley. Well, David and his men climbed the limestone rock and entered the city through that corridor. That's how they actually entered into the city. And once inside the city, David's men captured the fortress without much resistance. Now, David and his men persisted through difficult circumstances to defeat an overconfident enemy. Do you see that? He persisted. You know, he could have, like, just, you know, evaluated the situation with his limited resources, and there was only 600 men that went with David in this occupation, he could have thought to himself, no way that this is going to happen. But notice, 
he continued to persist through difficult circumstances to defeat an overconfident enemy. And that's exactly who the Jebusites were. They were overconfident. Okay, now, Alan Redpath, who's one of my favorite authors, anything that you can get your hands on that Alan Redpath has written. In fact, he's written a commentary on First and Second Samuel called, guess what? The Making of a Man of God. That's where I ripped the title off of for this series. And it's really one of my favorite commentaries on First and Second Samuel. But Alan Redpath, in his commentary, sees this as an analogy. All of what had just taken place, David being able to take the city, even in spite of the fact that they were so confident that that wouldn't happen. So Redpath, in his writings, sees this whole incident as an analogy. And he also sees David as a type. And in his writings, he suggests that on the same principle, King Jesus, and remember, I've also suggested in some of our previous messages that David becomes a type of who Jesus is in the Old Testament. Remember, there are these types in the Old Testament. And I believe that David is sort of like a type of Jesus Christ. So on the same principle, Redpath writes, King Jesus conquers old strongholds when he becomes king over our lives. Territory that should have been given to him long ago is now conquered. He goes on to declare, I want to say to you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that there is no habit that has gone so deep, but that the power of the blood of Jesus can go deeper. And there is no entrenchment of sin that has gone so far, but the power of the risen Lord by his Holy Spirit can go further. So, there's no reason why you need to continue to be vexed by your reoccurring sin within your life. Let your King Jesus, even as King David, was able to take that city that seemed unconquerable. You know, sometimes we get into that mindset of like, you know, God is just going to have to be satisfied with like 80% of my life. And we just continue to hold on to, as I mentioned before, those pet sins, you know. But there's no such thing as an 80% kind of a Christian. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Don't make concessions with the enemy. Don't make concessions with your flesh. God is more than able, through the work of his Holy Spirit, to take those areas of our lives you know, that seem impregnable and remove them from our lives, that we might be able to get the victory over them. Let's go back to our text. And notice then in verse 9 we read, Then David dwelt in the stronghold, and called it the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. Okay, so at last, David is in a position to take up permanent residence in Jerusalem. In honor of his victory, Jerusalem is called the city of David. And thus it becomes his capital, going forward, his headquarters. But Jerusalem, according to our text, needs attention. The foundations need to be secured. The place called Milo possibly was referring to the supporting terraces of the hill inside the city wall, and it had to be reinforced. And interestingly enough, archaeologists have found evidence of such buttressing both before 
and after the time of David. A buttress, just in case you're not familiar with that term, is a projecting support of brick or stone built against a wall. So David went ahead and began this whole process of fortifying the city. Well, anyway, with this done, the king, David, can now turn his attention to other matters. Let's go back to our text, verse 10. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now notice here, the writer is careful to remind us that in the final analysis, David's success, and remember, that's what this message is all about this morning, success and how to acquire it. David's success must be attributed to the Lord's good hand that was upon him. Notice what we are told there in verse 10. The Lord God of hosts. In the Hebrew, it's Elohi Sibu. The idea here is that God is sovereign over all things. Listen, David has been brought along and given great success by the God whose heavenly messengers are always at his command. And what God did for David, listen gang, he will also do for you. Here's a cross-reference for you from the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 14. Are not they, and he's referring to angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Gang, that's you and me. You know, it would blow our minds if God opened our eyes up to the, that spiritual realm, the spiritual battle that ensues around us. And I don't want God to open up my eyes. It would freak us out, right? But nevertheless, God has given his angels charge over you and uh, me. I guess we can all look forward to that day when we actually enter into heaven. And more than likely, we'll be introduced to one of those angels who's been given charge over us, lest we dash our foot against a rock, as the psalmist declares. And I'm sure that he has some stories to tell. How that he went before us, how that he protected us, how that he provided for us, how that God gave him charge over us. Well, listen, what God did for David, which again lent to David's great success, God will also do for you and for me. But I want to go back to that phrase there that's recorded for us in verse 10. Notice what it says there. It says, David went on and became great. Now, I just want to mention, this was by no means an overnight success. And, you know, we've spent the last couple of months, not only here in 2 Samuel, but in 1 Samuel, right? In our series, in our in our studies in, in that book of the Bible. And we've been tracing that work, that sovereign work of God within the life of his servant David through all of the highs and all of the lows, all of the pitfalls, all of the discouragements and such. So this thing of David's coronation and his ascending to the throne, listen, it didn't happen overnight. He didn't experience overnight success. David, you see, was long prepared for the greatness he later enjoyed, as we have discovered in our studies. You see, in God's plan, there is almost always a hidden price for greatness. Often those who become great among God's people experience much pain and difficulty in God's training processes. And isn't that true? You know, you know speak to the guys and gals who have been profoundly used by God, you know, trace the record of them recorded for us in the Bible. 
through much hardship they came to greatness, being used by God in profound ways. And such is the case. So don't expect success overnight. You know, God is shaping us and forming us. He wants to bring us to that desired end. God has a plan. He wants you to be successful. But just don't expect it to happen overnight. For many of us to experience success is a part of a process, a work of God within our lives, bringing us along, bringing us to that desired end. Now, here is a further indication of God's favor upon David. Notice, we are introduced to, in verse 11, a foreign king. And he is seeking David's favor. Let's go ahead and read that verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house there in the city of Jerusalem. And so... According to our text, we are told ambassadors from Hiram the king, the powerful king of Tyre, comes to the city of Jerusalem. They come to congratulate David on his ascension to the throne and his success defeating the Jebusites. Now, Tyre, a little bit of background concerning the city and the king. Tyre is one of the great cities of the Phoenicians, known for its maritime trade and the fine buildings of cedar that skilled craftsmen were able to erect. And so to court the favor of David, which, by the way, was very wise by the king, Tyre was dependent upon Israel for its supplies of wheat and oil and trade from the merchants of the cities of the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. So it was very smart for the king to court the favor of David. The cedar logs that Hiram sent to David for the building of his house were cut on the slopes of Lebanon, floated down to Joppa on barges, and then hauled overland to the city of Jerusalem. You know, the Israelites would never have been able to build that kind of a house for David because Israel was a pastoral people. Their occupation was all about, they were herdsmen, they were farmers. So Israel were a pastoral people. They were unskilled in building. So Hiram's offer was very welcomed by David. Verse 12, let's go back now to our text. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, uh, Israel. So David sees this for what it really was was. What was that? It was the unmistakable proof of God's favor. You know, there's something else that I want to draw your attention to here. Let's go back to verse 12 just for a moment. And once again, I want you to take a look at another phrase. Notice the phrase there, so David knew. And what was it exactly that David knew? Well, David knew three things that made his reign great. And these are three things that every godly leader should know. Notice there in verse 12, and I want to break this down for you. Within this one little verse of Scripture, there are three things that every one of us who assume a leadership position, whether it's the leader of a ministry within the church or a leader in your own home, these are essential things that each and every one of us must know. Okay, what was the first thing that David knew? Well, David knew, according to verse 12, that God had called him 
and established him over Israel. Even as, like, for example, I'll just use myself as an example. I know that God called me some 30, what is it now, 37 years ago to be the pastor of this church. Pastor Jose, I'm sure that you know that God has called you to be an associate and assistant pastor. Will, a, a leader and an elder here in our fellowship. Those of you who serve as deacons, those of you who lead ministries here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. I'm sure that you know that God has put you in that position. It's so very, very important because that's where our confidence comes from. There's nothing within us that lends itself to our being leaders except that God's calling and anointing is upon us. And so David knew that, unless he was assured of that, that calling. Secondly, notice, David knew that he had exalted his kingdom, that it was God who had exalted his kingdom. He knew that the kingdom belonged to God, that it was his kingdom. Even as I know that this is not Mike's church, I hate when people refer to this church as Mike's church. Right, without mentioning names, there are certain churches that I am aware of right here in the metropolitan area, and from time to time, people who visit us, they actually attend other churches, and that's fine. We, we welcome all people to come, and, and, uh, but I'll greet them, and, and I, you know, maybe I've never met them before, and I'll, I'll say, hey, you know, my name is Mike, and they'll introduce themselves to me, and, and, uh, and they'll begin to rehearse. No, are, where are you visiting from? They say, no, I live here in New York City. And I say, oh, okay, how long have you been here? I've been here umpteen years. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, you know, I fellowship at that church down the block and around the corner without mentioning names. And, uh, but they don't refer to the name of the church. They refer to the name of the pastor of that church. Oh, yeah, I attend Joe's church or, you know, Mike's church or, or whatever. I hate that. The reason why I hate it is because it's not Mike's church. It's not Joe's church. It's God's church. Listen, when we start referring to whatever God has called us to to be a leader as our church, God will take you and put you on a shelf. You can be sure of that. God doesn't share his glory with any man. And again, that was the secret to David's success. He knew that the kingdom that had been given to him was God's kingdom. It wasn't his kingdom at all. And then thirdly, notice, David also knew that God had given him the kingdom. Why? For the sake of his people, Israel. You see, David knew God wanted to use him as a channel, as an instrument to bless his people Israel. It wasn't for David's sake that he was lifted up, but rather for the sake of God's people Israel. You see that? Not that I, the leader would get a name or whatever, but the people who attend the church, I'll just use that as an example, for their benefit, for their blessing. But you know, it is unfortunate that many have the favor of God and do not perceive it. David knew that he had the favor of God. And he was thankful to God. And he gave God his due. But unfortunately, there are many that have the favor of God upon them to do whatever God has called them to do, but they do not perceive it. They're not thankful to God. And this is so very, very important. When we realize this, when we understand that God's blessing, that God's hand is upon us, you know, it keeps us close to God. You know, we don't get out in front of God to do our own thing, right? We seek God for all of the details, whether it's a ministry thing or a family thing or, or whatever, a job situation, employment or, or whatever. We don't want to get out before God. We want to make sure that we have our marching orders from God. And so to know that, that everything that we receive comes from God, comes from above, it keeps us close to Him. And we remain thankful. 
We stay on the straight and the narrow. We don't get lifted up in pride thinking, yeah, you know, the reason why we're blessed, the reason why we're growing, the reason why we're accomplishing things is because of my genius or my abilities, my capacities or, or whatever. It keeps us humble. It keeps us on the straight and the narrow. Listen, gang, don't wait until you lose it to figure this truth out. Be thankful. Every one of you has the favor of God upon your life. Don't become jaded to that. Just be thankful. Thank God every day that you wake, you know, that you have the blessings of God, God's favor upon your life. And then we have these new heirs to the throne that are listed there in verses 13 through 16. Let's go back to our text. And David took more concubines and wives, which, by the way, was prohibited by God. Remember, uh, in one of our previous studies, I mentioned this. Kings were not, that is, the kings of Israel were not, uh, they were prohibited by God to multiply wives and horses. I never could understand the coupling of that. But nevertheless, because the reason why was that the wives that they would take to themselves would turn their hearts from God. Such was the case with Solomon, right? And uh, we'll see that as we continue through our Old Testament studies. Well, anyway, David disobeyed. And after he had come from Hebron, and more sons and more daughters were born to David. And as we trace the steps through David's life, even going forward, we will discover that most of David's problems arose from the fact that he took more concubines, that he took more wives, that he had more children. So a lesson for all of us to learn as well. Not that we're going to multiply wives, but disobey God's word, you see. That's the issue here. Well, this list that's recorded for us here in the room, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these names. Is that okay? Because I'm not going to be able to pronounce them, but their names are listed here for us in the remainder of verses 15 and 16. And that list spans 30 years of David's reign in Jerusalem. For being a king in that culture and time, his company is rather small when compared to surrounding monarchs, sheiks, and emirs. And at this time, it was estimated that 17 sons were born to David. We're not exactly sure. It's all according to who you read. We don't actually know how many sons and daughters were born to David, how many wives, how many concubines he had actually uh, taken. But it's been estimated that 17 sons were born to David during his reign in Jerusalem. And once again, in comparison, this was small in number in contrast to other monarchs, other kings from other nations. Now, David has to go about defending the new empire. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for